0: the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This This
1: is Is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: This is is EdTech, Episode 1, for Friday, January 13th, 2012, Crestron Fanboy Hour. Welcome to EdTech, the AV Nation production for and about uh, audiovisual in the classroom and education. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. With us uh, are our panelists, are our continuous panelists. This should be the group, and we might add some guests as, as time goes on. But these are the guys. First up is Matt Silverman. Matt is the manager, learning space design at George Mason University. Hello, sir. How's it going, Tim? Good. Uh, also with us is Scott Tyner. Scott is the Assistant Director of User Services at Bates College. Hello.
1: Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. This just sounds like it's going to be a fun time. Hopefully. That's the, <laughs> that's the
0: idea, <laughs> at least. I don't do things if they're not fun. So... <laughs> Uh, real quickly, we'll, we'll go around the, the, the horn here and uh, we'll start with you, Matt. Give us some basics of not just George Mason, but, but how you've gotten involved in AV and AV in, in higher ed.
2: Sure. Um, I guess I came in from kind of an interesting path. I was not an AV guy to begin with. I was actually an IT guy. Um, like most people, I got involved on the event support side. They wanted to set up some computers, and a couple of computers became computers and projectors, and, and we built a classroom building. And the next thing I knew, I was designing classroom systems. So I've actually been at this for about a little over 12 years now at George Mason. Yeah. Um, so and it's been an been an interesting time. i have done, you know, all sorts of different product. On recently, got very much into the uh, digital stuff.
0: That makes sense, though. So because of your of your IT background, so. yeah. Scott, what is your uh, what is your history?
1: Uh, much like Matt's, actually, I, um, I started out in, in the IT world, uh, came, came to Bates after being a, the Director of Information Technology at a private high school here in Maine. And uh, I remember my, my first day, somebody told me that he was mentioning uh, a mic-level signal, and I was like, oh, boy, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I, I thought I was in trouble at that point, but I've come a long way <laughs> since then. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, the education part for me is, is really what interests me. I have a, a degree. I was going to be a history teacher is what I planned on doing um, and didn't get a job doing that and ended up in IT. And, and now here I, I get to still work in education a little bit at least.
0: That's kind of an interesting path though.
1: It is, you know, my whole my life, my te- my wife, my parents, everybody has been in education. Um, I'm on the local school board here where I live, so for me, the education aspect is really um, the the exciting part of it. Yeah. Uh, my
0: my history is I came, I, I come from the broadcast world. I spent a number of years in, in both radio and television and came back to my alma mater, uh, a community college, um, Lewis, Lewis and Clark Community College, just outside of St. Louis. And I came back and, you know, we're we my my job was really kind of classroom support and, and that has kind of morphed over the years into Crestron programming and classroom design and support uh, not just classroom but also other other banquet facilities and stuff like that so that's kind of my my education and stuff and now i'm going back and getting my masters so we can we can do other cool things uh, in the classroom so uh today we're going to talk about ultrabooks uh, the Crestron classroom capture device is, is finally uh, up and running and pico projectors but first not to make this a Crestron fanboy show Cause that's easy to do for me, <laughs> and I know it is for you too as well. But but their they're ca- they call it cash uh, get cash for analog trash, and a, a buddy of mine Johnny Moto uh, coined the phrase "Bring out your debt." That coin he, he <laughs> borrowed from from Monty Python, but said you know Crestrons, bring out your debt, which is kind of you know a little you know apropos because what they're saying is hey give us your your tired your broken down analog pieces of equipment. And in some cases, not all, in some cases, they're going to give you full retail price. In, in most cases, though, because the equipment is probably going to be used and probably going to be too old, they'll give you something. And all you're, they're asking you to do is, is purchase their digital media stuff. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. Is this something we'll, – we'll will this get people to migrate now?
2: Oh, yeah, I'd say it's absolutely fantastic. I wish it was around uh, about two years ago when we started with digital because, boy, we spent a pretty penny on that. Um, You know, I know with everyone in the educational world, you know, having anything you could take off the top, you know, uh, a discount program, which a lot of us (laughs) use with different different vendors or, uh, you know, if I can even get a thousand bucks back on, you know, a $15,000 system, that's huge. That's a huge return, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so and frankly, half the time our surplus people don't know what to do with uh, the product anyway. It'll usually sit in the warehouse for a bit. Uh, we ship all of our stuff down to Richmond for auction. Uh, we're in Virginia, and that's they have a central uh, auction for all surplus. And honestly, I know most of that stuff just ends up on a pallet that someone buys for twenty-five bucks. Yeah. So if I can get a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks back for something I'm taking out of the classroom. That's awesome. Uh, we're definitely planning to take advantage of that this after uh, you know this coming summer when we do some upgrades.
0: Now, Scott, is this something that you guys, and not just you guys, but other people should look into, or is this not not it's not too little, to look, but is it is this ahead of the curve? I mean, I know some guys are already moving to digital, but other people aren't simply because of the economics.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you. To me, it's not just about the the economics. Um, to me, it's a it's about crush on and any any company really. They want you to move to this, right, because it's, it's, you know, how they're going to make money. They're going to sell a lot more products. It's their newest product line. Yeah, and, and the fact of the matter is, you know, I look at a college like Bates, and I've got to imagine that other colleges are the same. Uh, we know that, you know, the, the VGA connector, the 15-pin connector, is going to stop being marketed, what, in 2014. I look at that, that says, for, that means me at Bates, I've got you know, four years beyond that, five years beyond that where I'm supporting VGA. Mm -hmm. So for me, the world is turning digital. But I got you know, seven or eight more years where i have got to support analog. And I think that, you know, they, they really want to push us into it and, and they allow you to bring analog stuff in. And this is really one of their ways. Um, I think marketed at those of us who are technology managers who really drool when we see this uh, <laughs> D- DMPS 300. Um, yeah, about that. That's shipping
0: finally. <laughs> and I, I am so jealous. We were talking off, off the air. Matt's already got his hands on, on one or two.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah. want one really bad. I actually talked to them yesterday at Crestron, um, and let's hope they don't listen to, to the call because they told me I can get 1100 bucks for each of my MPS 200s. Oh, really? They, yeah. <laughs> what they don't know is, like Matt said, we've been keeping some of these as spares for years as we switch them out. Oh, yeah. So I've, I've, I've <laughs> got a stack of them in the back room that I'm ready to, uh, to, to catch in and get my hands on this guy. Wow.
0: All right, Matt. Real quick, show of hands or voices or whatever. How many of you guys are still supporting v- v- VCRs? Oh God,
2: uh, that, that's my, that's my personal shame. But yes, we. Uh, but yes, you
0: are. We, we we still have them everywhere. Scott, are you guys still? Do you guys still have the v- the VCRs? We've taken
1: yet yes, but we've taken a very <laughs> careful approach to this in that um, we've been telling people for a long time they're going away. Uh, Funny enough, when we put in digital systems, some of our, our NTSC tapes start acting funny. And now, when we talk to faculty and, and they say, Oh, my VHS tape's not working, we say, Yeah, but you know, we've been kind of warning you about this, and they've got a great attitude. They're like, Yeah, I know you have. So, what do I do? And we've got solutions for them to, to change over. So, this July, we are not putting VHS in rooms, and when they break, um, they're not being replaced. Uh, and so far, we have got a really great response even from our faculty on that good Always.
0: for you because we still are too i, I have a, a few faculty member who i don't know if this is true because i don't i don't deal in the education video you know market they they, they swear to me and these are these are older um, faculty members they swear to me that their favorite tape of this one you know lecture that they do every semester they don't make it anymore and they don't make it available on dvd mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'm like all right whatever so I'll, I'll I'll troll eBay for a VHS player for you.
2: Yeah, we, we, we've heard the same thing. Um, I mean, it's it's so sad right now. I, I'm actually still have the VHS DVD combos with our digital systems. Yeah, so and like- yeah, and it's it, it just crazy. We ended up going HDMI out of those, so I have to pay like three hundred dollars a box for something which just shouldn't exist.
1: Jeez. <laughs> And, and, you know, we've, we've understood, you know, what, what they're saying is, is right. They've used these things. They want to use them. Our copyright officer um, is very strict. Um, and, but we've we found some solutions so that we're not doing anything that, that's illegal uh, and we're providing them, you know, what they need. Well, let, let's
0: go back to the DMPS because this kind of ties into the, in the whole VHS thing. And I'm looking at the back of this thing. And, and Matt, let's, let's go with you because you've actually touched it and, you know, dealt with it. I'm not seeing any kind, of am- any kind of composite or S video in it. It's got you, component.
2: No, it, it, that's actually a modular port solution. You got, so um, so you, you, you can still go in uh, composite okay, if you cool. have to. Uh, you can go in component. You can go in S. Okay. It's basically make, make, make your choice of those uh, But it's just pensions. one, right? It's, it's just, just one. one. Okay. Um, you got a bunch of uh, VGA connectors, but the beauty of it is for every VGA connector, you also have an HDMI connector. Yeah. So your upgrade path as you start moving forward is already built in there for you. Um, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, it's a 7x4, but you, you have these pre-switchers, so you can multitask ports on the front end. And if you plan this out, and we're starting to look at you know, some new standards uh, using this box, you could really build a Swiss Army knife solution where you have one box, one code, which runs, you know, say 80 percent of your classroom and even, you know, non-classroom environments. Wow. Yeah, we're very bullish on it. Well, yeah.
0: well, <laughs> yeah. And I remember the, the first time I saw NPS was the first time I met my favorite education rep of all time. His name is Kevin Iselli, and he's he's no longer an education rep. But he walks into my office, and, and I, we, were, we were a big Extron house at the time. And we, we had, like, one or two classrooms that were Crestron. And he walks into my office, and he's like, you know, tell me all this, and what, what you're, why you're not doing Crestron, and we, we had a conversation. And he, he pulls this box out, and he said, how long do you think it would take you to, to configure a, an Extron room like that? And we had a conversation. And he puts this thing on my desk, and in, like, a minute, he has it up and running and switching and I, my mouth is you know my jaw is on the on the floor and I'm like holy cow and that right there just just sold me not just on Crestron in general but on the whole MPS idea
1: yeah well, I, I think the, the original analog MPSs were just fantastic and the one of the cool things i think about this digital MPS and i'm i'm wondering what Crestron's thinking was i love it um, they put in a 6 channel mic mixer 6 that's input a lot, mic mixer yeah. And, and I'm trying to think, you know, I love it because I'm going to use it. And I'm, but I, I'm wondering where they got the, the feedback about that.
0: Yeah, I um, don't know.
2: I, I think that's from a lot of us. I mean, same way we're going to use it. We have a, uh, one of our classroom standards which has four microphones in it. And it's generally precluded us from using some of the all in ones before. Yep. Um, and, you know, given that the uh, program DSP in there, I don't need a second DSP for my mics. And you know, there you go. It's true. It's eliminated a box for me, which always makes me happy.
0: And probably the cost of it too. I mean, oh yeah. That's one thing is is we don't have a whole lot of of multi. I'd say multi, three or more microphone installations, unless you're talking about a a banquet hall. Uh, At least for us uh, here, Uh, if you're talking about a lecture hall, for us, you're talking about a handheld mic and then a lav, and that's pretty much kind of what we do. So, that is interesting. Uh, you're listening to EdTech. With us is Matt Silverman from George Mason University, and Scott Tyner from Bates College. Uh, Matt, we'll we'll kick this on, one off with you because you're the one that's really excited about it. I just heard about it from you. Uh, it's the Ultrabook, and in the in the, the comments you, you gave me, you said this is what uh, the the netbook should have been. Why is that?
2: Oh, it's I mean it's Intel's new push. It's basically a MacBook Air on you know, on a PC platform. So okay. it's ultra light, um, you know, it's effective. It's something which I see faculty are just gonna run to. Uh, I saw an article, I saw a couple of press releases where Intel is doing its biggest press push on this since two thousand and three. It's they're wow. they're gonna be putting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into marketing this. And it's it's based on a real processor i I don't know if you guys played around with the netbooks with the atom processor you try to run two apps at the same time and that's all she wrote Hmm. uh this is going to use uh their core processors but they're ultra low voltage so you're still talking seven to eight hours on the uh devices um Price point they're targeting the thirteen inch ones at sub one thousand dollars. You're probably talking eight to nine hundred dollars. Uh I think something like fifty to seventy models were announced at CES this week. So it's it's it, it's gonna be just another wave of laptops. You know, that, that last group who was holding out from having the laptop they carried everywhere or the person who's lugging around, you know, the eight-pound behemoth, uh, I can see really jumping to this. Um, You know, faculty, I think, will jump to it first. For people who've had netbook programs, there may be some serious consideration. Is this a better, you know, product, you know, than your netbook? Also, for a college who wants to implement the laptop program, this is at a great price point, you know, between a netbook and that, you know, six sub six hundred dollar price point, but a full blown laptop which is still in the twelve to fifteen, you know, hundred dollar price
0: point. I, I, I'm not a big Apple fanboy. I do enjoy their product, but my first reaction when I started reading the specs on this was, what does this do that a, a tablet? And I'm just going to say an IT, an, an, iPod, an iPad, but any tablet. What does this do that the, that the tablets can't do? It runs Microsoft Office. What <laughs> <And> is that? <laughs> and it, it,
2: and I am a huge iPad fan. I, I got an iPad 2 right when they came out, and I actually got it under protest. My boss made me buy, one, buy them for my team, and I said, I have no idea why I'm going to use this, uh, and I can't live without it now. <laughs> but there's a lot of times where I say, gee, I, I, I actually need a PC. I mean, everything I do for work runs in a PC environment from just the Microsoft Office side to doing Crestron programming to, you know, whatever specialty applications we're running. And for me, you know just for me as, a, as an individual, I said, you know, gee, I have my iPad and my briefcase. I add a three-pound, you know, Ultrabook. I can now do 100% of my job wherever I am, wow. and it, it just adds another tool. Um, the other real interesting thing, which is going to affect us to support people with these ultrabooks, is something like 75% of what I'm seeing coming to market are HDMI out only. So yeah. no more VGA port, yeah. and uh, that that goes back to the last conversation, which you know, are you prepared for digital? Yeah.
1: So, you know, Tim, I, I look at this and I, I thought kinda of what you hit at, which is I don't know, I think these PC makers and Intel they're uh dollar short and a day late on this. Uh, you know, it's it's the MacBook Air, but what, MacBook Air came out four or five years ago or more?
0: No yeah, yeah, about four years ago. It,
1: yeah, you know, it's like okay, so it's a it's a little laptop, you know, way to go guys. <laughs> <laughs> the way <they> go, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't impress me much. and you know what and I agree with what, what Matt's saying about, you know, I, I use the, the PC for things that the iPad can't. Um, but what we're seeing here at Bates, and you know, I think there's different cultures at different schools. Our faculty do not carry their laptops around. They just don't do it. And I don't think it's got to do with weight. I think it's just got to do with it's just not what they do. So we've actually started giving them desktop computers. And so we say, you know if you, if you can't do something on an iPad, Get a, you know, get a desktop computer. It will give you that and an iPad. And so now, you know, that iPad's your traveling tool, your desktop computer's your power tool, and that seems to be working really well. Um, I just, you know, I look at it and I say, you know, I don't even use Microsoft Office anymore. Yeah. I use Google Docs all the time. I, I don't know the last time I opened Microsoft Word or Excel it, unless it was to open a file somebody else sent me. Everything's Google Docs. I do it right from my iPad. Um... So I don't know i I think that they're they're not envisioning what it's going to be going on in a, in a year or two from now
2: well Scott, I think you hit on a really important thing there, which is the level of enterprise support you have for any tool. Uh, obviously, Bates is supporting the iPad at an enterprise level. Uh, George Mason is reluctantly thinking about iPads at an enterprise level. Um, you know we have kind of a couple of us managers in i t who have been thinking about it and helping users but I won't pretend there's any level of enterprise support where you have a problem with a laptop. You know, we have a whole team who can assist you with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I mean, how, here's a, not that this is a technology or a IT show, but how would you go about supporting an iPad because of the nature of apps and how they're paid for and how they're, you know, how, how does that happen? It has to be a nightmare.
1: Yes, you know it, 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 it is, and and you know I'm not sure yet. And again, like you said, it's not an IT show. I'm not an IT guy. I don't support them. I do know a couple of things that have that have irritated me a little bit, and a couple of things that um, we need to figure out. And I'll give you the example that relates to AV. I've got CRESTRON mobile on my on my phone and my iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got about 20 rooms that I connect to with that for various things. I. I've got three people that work for me, and every single one of them have got to go put in the same configurations on their phone or iPad yeah. that I did. I can't just give them a config file that, you know, Mo- Crestron Mobile uses. What a
0: pain. Is that a Crestron issue or is that, a, is that an iPod, a, iPad issue?
2: It's a little bit of both.
0: Yeah. I, mean, exactly. I, I would think you should be able to – I don't know. If you if you make it in VT Pro-E, which is the, the graphic – uh, software, if you don't know Crestron, that's the graphics uh, software you use to make the pretty interface. You should be able to, just, you know, load that up, shouldn't you?
1: So you can. So what you what you're doing on the iPad or the iPhone is you're downloading what they call the manifest file, and that's cool. But what you've got to do is you've got to get in and say, here's the IP address of the processor. Oh, here's the
0: okay.
1: Here's the password. Here's the file, and they've got to do that every time.
0: Of every single box. Uh, every single uh, box. I...
1: Yeah. And so if, if Crestron gets into the iCloud, like Pages has done, you know, now we might be able to do some of that.
2: Well, and realize Crestron, though, was intended market with the iPad and the iPhone was residential.
0: so yeah, you they had to know.
2: Yeah, like <laughs> Crestron always thinks about the enterprise when they roll out
0: products. Well, not enterprise, but the, you had to know that guys like us and guys like the government uh, um, IT and, and, and tech, um, technical managers that – and those are two guys, two two groups, both both education and, and government um, end users that Crestron caters to. I mean, if, if they do nothing else, they cater to those two groups. I mean, for Credit loud, every at every almost every trade show, they have a a special meeting for those separate groups. So they had to know that, didn't they? You know, uh, I-
1: <laughs>
0: maybe not.
1: I, you know, I, I like Creston. I, I sometimes think that they they sometimes cater to us they don't always listen to us
0: Uh,
2: yeah okay well i I think it's part of what crestron i think is having a little hard time with which is realizing they're now an it company um i mean you know take a look at apple apple hates the enterprise um it, it does not build any of its products to scale in you know anything larger than a lab environment um, but they acknowledge that. I mean I've actually – my rep has said it in, in nicer terms than that. My <laughs> Apple rep has definitely said that. Um, similarly with Crestron, they've been trying to make this transition to you know, an IT you know, uh, company w- you know, where they're doing a lot more software. And with that, I think it's just the culture change and realizing you know, it's no longer one room, one box times 100 – it's an environment of 200 control processors that need to be managed coherently, and I think in, in a
0: single place.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a big corporate challenge for them. That I think they're starting to get
0: get on. And that's probably that's actually a really good point, Matt. Because look at at the changes that RoomView, which is their asset management software, has gone over the last the transformation it's gone in gone through over the last five years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. They've they've come a long way with that, and they've got even bigger goals than we see right now with that. Yeah.
0: Uh, since, since we're talking about question, what the heck, we'll, we'll, we'll continue on. Uh, their Capture HD, uh, their Capture HD, high-definition capture recorder, is, is finally shipping. It's up. It's, it's going. Scott, we'll start with you. I think all of us saw this at InfoCom in, in Orlando this year. What makes this different or special mm-hmm. than anybody else's lecture capture?
1: Well, I tell you, I love this thing, and I have been emailing my rep once a week since June, saying, Dude, when can I get a hold of it? <laughs> when am I going to get a demo? And, and I got my first ones just a couple weeks ago. I, I think some of the first ones they shipped out. What, what makes it different? I mean, I think everything makes it different. When we looked at class capture here at Bates, the first thing we said is, It's got to be hardware based. I do not want to be running a recording on the PC that a, the faculty are teaching on or that an event's being run on. Uh, it, there's just too many issues. And we, we looked at some that do that. And we didn't like them at all, uh, so it, it's hardware based. That's that's the first thing for us. The second one is well, there's two other things. Number one, it's fairly cheap. If you look at some of these other products, we looked at products that you know, you're talking over a hundred grand just to get into, mm-hmm. and and it and it gives you five or six classrooms.
0: And they're per instance and all that jazz,
1: and yeah, and then you and and so the, you know, a lot of people are going to go, you know, a couple thousand bucks, you know, that's that's not cheap. It is cheap, and you know, if you look at the products, you'll see that. So the other big thing for me is that it doesn't make you buy a server, and it doesn't make you do the management the way that that company wants you to do. And it doesn't only fit in with you know one learning management system. It, it's really simple. You pull out a USB stick, and you've got a video, and you do whatever you want with it. Yeah. So those are the things to me that I just I think are fantastic.
0: Matt, do you guys were you guys already doing? Uh, lecture capture or is this something that you guys can move into
1: um
2: lecture capture has been an interesting thing at mason we've actually been trying to find the customer um it, it's really weird i mean it, it's blown up at a lot of universities and we've done a pilot like every about a, about every three years for the past six years or so and i've been challenged because a lot of times again as saw uh, scott said it's you know i hate software based solutions same reason he does um We've tried to integrate some other hardware or quasi-hardware solutions, and it's just been a pain. And really, I think this, this gives a lot of potential. Uh, the only – we're doing a quasi-lecture application where we record all of our uh, intro to public speaking uh, students, 32 sections a semester of this. Wow. And it's not every speech they give, but they have an evaluation where they have them do two speeches one, I think, like at about five weeks, and <laughs> one at about 12 weeks, and they benchmark it. Um, I was just so frustrated with a lot of the lecture capture solutions in the market. I actually built systems which are video conferencing based because mm-hmm. that's where we excel. Mm-hmm. Um, My price point per system was ridiculous. I mean, I'm buying, you know, Tamburg Codex for that. We have have a Tamburg backend, which is awesome. And it's fantastic. It does exactly what they want. It's easy to use. All the faculty member has to do is walk in and put a four-digit PIN, and they're good to go.
0: Yeah, I'm not not grousing at the fact that it's Tamburg. I'm grousing at the price tag I'm sure you had to spend.
2: Oh yes, it was it, it was painful for us as well. I don't want to you know I, I don't want to say like we did this lightly. <laughs> it, 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 it just came it came down to the fact that we're really good in doing video conferencing integration, so we went to our strength. Yeah, um, I can now for three thousand dollars take out that you know twenty thousand dollar codec and pretty much upgrade and play some systems, and we're starting to consider that. I think we're probably in a six- to nine-month trend on that. Uh, But it also allows us for a couple of the clients that we have, our law school in particular, who have been flirting with the idea of lecture capture, and they're doing some wacky homegrown solutions, we can actually put a really refined, finished product in their space and get them a much higher quality uh, experience than
0: we could have done previously. Let me ask you this: We've also tried a couple different pilot programs. Our issues haven't really ever been software; it's been faculty, <laughs> and it's, it's been always been interesting to me that the faculty is where we push the is, is the are the ones who push back. Have your faculty been pretty open to this?
1: We've got, you know, it's is Scott. We've we've got some faculty who are interested. In it. Interestingly enough, we don't. We've never tried to push this. We've talked to people about it, and you know, Bates is a, is an interesting place. We're a small liberal arts college, and so, you know, we're not ever going to do. You know, every class gets captured, and you know, I, I talked to a guy from a college in Massachusetts, University of Massachusetts. They actually put five hundred people in two hundred fifty person lecture hall, and tell half of them they can only come one of the days. Wow. Wow. so, so, so that's you know when you're talking when you're doing that, you know all it's an a hundred thousand dollars system makes a lot of sense, yeah, just think of all the money you just made there. We're never doing that. we talk to our faculty about. Uh, you have students who maybe, you know, during the swine flu, for example, who are out and you don't want them in, in class, you can record a class then. You know, our, our math or biology professors who do long, elaborate demonstrations on a board or on a document camera, you know, what if you recorded that in la- and next year you tell your students, watch this before you come to class this time. So now you come to class ready to talk. Um, We have uh, our our student, uh, Dean of Students Office, hires students to go to rooms and be note takers for students with um, various disabilities. Well, what if we recorded it for those students so those students with disabilities can sit there and watch and listen and participate, not face down taking notes during a class? And that's where we get some faculty who have been interested. Um, We are putting them in in, in this year, and this is a great way to do it, at the request of a faculty member, that is oh, a great awesome. way to do it.
0: Yeah, because then you don't get the pushback. My my thing is, is always been and I look at things like iTunes University, which I I have a big big affinity for because you know you've got this this great you know vast pool of knowledge that's just out there, and I think it endears yourself and endears the college to just the community at large. And and I wish that that some you know not just here but at other places that, that sometimes faculty push back against technology simply because they don't understand it maybe.
1: Well, and one of the things, you know, it's funny because as we looked at classroom capture, we've been looking at it for a long time. One of the things <laughs> that I've never understood is why was it so expensive? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a recording here, you know, and I, I've just, I've never got that. I can go, you know, buy a device that can do this for not a lot of money. Why, why is there not a solution out there that, that costs... You know what Crestron now costs, and I think that's one of the reasons that we're excited about is that it—it's it, never been even feasible to think about on on a small scale. Yeah, well,
0: the, the price point is very, very, very attractive.
2: I think it's the same thing, and I've often wondered the same thing about video conferencing. It's the the entrenched people are so entrenched and they're making so much money that until someone comes in and wants to be disruptive, you know, you're you're just not going to have any reason for them to lower their prices. I mean I think there's a big risk for Crestron. They're getting into a market which they really haven't been in, and I haven't had a chance to play with their back-end software, but that will be the real test I think for a lot of people who are the well-established lecture capture
0: universities if if that works. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be great. That's a good point. Matt. I would like to talk to someone who's been doing this for a number of years with other solutions and see how they view and how, what they think of, of this solution.
1: Right. I think depending on who you are, you know, if you're this school that I was just mentioning, you know, that back-end solution is, is, is incredibly critical to you. Uh, whereas a school like we're going to use it, um, it's actually somewhat of a hindrance. Yeah,
2: Uh, I I know some people, I mean, when we were looking at this at one point who were using, like, Sonic Foundry, and we were looking at the Sonic Foundry appliance, I want to say something like $50,000 or something like that for, you know, just just to buy their one appliance. And this is a couple years back, so I don't know what their current pricing is. But the answer I got when I talked to people who were using it is it just works. If we could figure, you know, anything we need to do, we could just make it happen day one. And that's what you get for fifty thousand dollars. We, when we did our first pilot, we chose something about at the twenty-five thousand dollar point. And I can tell you for a fact, it didn't just work.
0: Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, well, and that's kind of like the Apple, <laughs> the Apple attitude, you know? Yeah, it, it costs you know two thousand dollars, but
1: it just works. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing, right? Because Apple is a, is a software company, and I think that that's one of these weird things that Crashman's is going to have to look at at this. They're a hardware company. They got into software with RoomView. Are they going to get into software with this, yep. or are they going to let you figure it out on your own? Yeah,
0: they're well, going to have to a little bit though.
2: I, I think they. I mean, I think they just released, um, you know, like this week, the RoomView uh, 8.5, yeah, the which fusion. has the, the, the yeah, their, 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 their <laughs> their first fusion update, and it has the uh, back-end workflow to do transcoding right from the box.
0: That's cool. Now, mm-hmm.
2: I don't know how it works or if it works, but it's been released.
0: Yeah, so very cool. All right, we're going to get off of Johnny here for a little bit. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Ed Tech uh, with Matt Silverman from George Mason, Scott Tyner from Bates College. Uh, HD base T is something that's been around for a while, and uh, we're going to get into it for, yeah, just for real quickly. Uh, talk about kind of what it is and, and who it is, and maybe a, a larger question of whether or not we need as technology managers. If we need to start working with our designers or if we design them ourselves, start installing stuff like this, or should we worry about the cabling more? Matt, we'll start with you. Kind of give an overview of, of what HD based T is and, and what it, what, I guess, how it works, Not necessarily how it works, but, but why it's important uh, sure. for, for education guys.
2: Um, HD-based T is a technology I've been following, I guess, for about two, three years now, I guess, really since it was announced. And I think it's fantastic. It is um, digital video over a single category wire up to 100 meters. So basically, long haul, HDMI, DisplayPort, or whatever. on a standards level. I mean, you know, Crestron has digital media, AMX has their solution, Xtron has their solution. Uh, but this is a truly interoperable standard. So the yeah. idea would be you could have anyone's endpoints and be able to use it. Um the big thing which I saw from HD based T lately is they've released their first certified products. Um there's only three on the market right now. <laughs> yeah. And two but- are from Geffen. Two or yes, so but it's still huge that the first certified products are coming out. Um, Most of this is based on a chipset by Valrins, which is the company that you know makes the internals. Uh, But the interesting thing to know is you know both AMX and Crestron are using this chipset in their products as well. So I would figure if they wanted to flip the right switch in their firmware. At some point, you know their their product lines, their, their long haul digital product lines, could become uh, you know come certif- uh, certified or compatible, and mm. I really like the idea of as much as I love Crestron, and you know we've had the Crestboy, Crestron fanboy hour going mm-hmm. on here. Um, I, I love the idea of. Open or quasi-open uh, standards for products. Well,
0: the interoperability yes. interoper- is, is, is as open as we can get, and yeah, I agree with you. That's awesome. And pretty much what this means is you need to run Cat five, Cat six. I
2: would recommend Cat six just to make sure you know you got a slightly better grade of cable mm-hmm. anywhere. And now this becomes your solution to how do I get HMI to a projector? You know, I've seen some awful solutions where people try to fish, you know, a 45-foot HMI cable down a wall and I just cringe. And it, it really becomes a great solution uh, to, if you have to do that super low-cost install or you just have to find a way to get a signal from one place to the other, this is awesome.
0: Yeah. Scott, do you do you like HD based T? I'm I'm with Matt on this. I like the interoperability. I like being able to to pick and choose because you know, sometimes, as much as we all love CRESTRON, sometimes the solution just isn't there or they don't have a product for for the need that we that we have. So I like running all this stuff and saying, okay, this is my standard for cabling or infrastructure. My endpoints may change, but this is my my cabling standard.
1: I think I you know I, I'm gonna. Uh, tell you a little bit here that that tells me tells you that you haven't been paying much attention. I didn't really know anything about HD base T to be completely (laughs) honest with you. I had to do a little bit of homework here before this show and I was a little embarrassed about that. I think it's fantastic. And to think that uh you know the the connection is gonna be R J forty five. We can pass all this stuff over Cat five or Cat six. Um I always laugh because we look now and we go, oh, less wires and less wires, and everything's over, you know, one cat five now. And then we always learn that we need more wires. But, you know, if your if you're standard installation now is you're telling the your guys pulling your wires, you know, give me six cat sixes, and that's going to do whatever I need to do. That's really cool. Um, and like you said, it doesn't matter what the product on the other side is. you got your, you got your wires in there. Um, I do, you know, Matt, I, I had to laugh about the HDMI down a wall because I was thinking, you know, first of all, I, I long for the days of, of just old v, good old VGA. How long <laughs> did good old VGA last us, right? Why can't we do that? Well, and the distance is for VGA. Good yep. Lord. Oh, and and we, we one time had to get a, a DVI cable through a wall. Uh, and, well, you know, you know. The, so I'll tell you, and, and again, don't tell anybody here at my college, we cut the cable and re-soldered it.
0: <laughs> you soldered oh. a DVI yeah. cable? That's
1: I like did not. pins. <laughs> it is about 30 pins. I am
0: a, impressed.
1: We've got a guy that works here that is just a soldering expert, and he re-soldered it, and it, and wow. it worked beautifully. That's impressive. I, I laughed at him because I was like, that, you know, you just you, you can't do it, and it's not going to work when you're done. Yeah. And he took it as a challenge, and, and he did. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, the CAD5, you know, everybody knows how to punch that stuff down, mm-hmm. and it's just it, – it's awesome. I think it's fantastic.
2: Well, and one other thing that I've been thinking with this, and even DM or other type products like that is, you know, could we get to the point – we do a lot of our installations in-house now. We have a contract networking vendor who can run point-to-point, you know, category cable for us, no problem. You know, is my cabling in the future, I have them do a, you know, lectern to projector, you know, cat six path and, you know, pay, I think our contract price is like 250 bucks for that and just never have to get my guys up in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that that's one of the things I see attractive about, you know, this type of technology
0: as well. Yeah, I do as well, so. Uh, from Rave, Rave Publications, um, this comes from Pacific Media Associates. Uh, Pacific Media does a lot of, of surveys about technology and, and kind of future trend stuff. Their latest survey says that Pico projectors could be the largest portion of projector market by 2013. Uh, I personally have an issue with this. I, I don't think that they're uh, – these are the same guys that us that 3D is the next greatest thing, so – uh, and I don't believe that either. But Scott, we'll start with you. If these guys are right, how does this affect uh, the the classroom? Are we are we expecting uh, professors to walk in with Pico projectors and and kind of bypass our ten thousand lumens projectors?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> and I and I I don't you know I don't want to pick on anybody, but I think Pacific Media Associates may need to look at the people they're polling. Yeah, um, because I just I laugh at it. I don't I don't see any use whatsoever for a pico projector uh you know I, I i think maybe maybe if there was a projector in my iphone i might sit at home with my parents and you know show them a slideshow on a wall uh, and until the day comes i can walk in with a projector that's the size of my iphone just throw it on a random table it decides where to project on the wall fixes the keystone and like you said is 6000 lumens yeah. and gives me a 10 you know at least a 1024 by 768 uh resolution I don't get. I don't get it at all. Yeah, I don't it. And, and Matt,
0: we'll, we'll, we'll throw this to you. Is this? I, I don't know. I, I think it's silly, but that. What do you? Yes,
2: think? I think silly is the right <laughs> word. No, I, 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 I just. I, I'm seeing very little application. Um, you know, your resolutions aren't there. You know, your great 50 lumen. I think that's the brightest one that's on the market right now. Pico projector. <laughs> You know, turn off all your lights, huddle in a corner. I mean, may, may, maybe you know, it's like a bunch of kids uh, having movie night under
0: the blankets or something.
1: Yeah. let's yeah. go <laughs> into the closet to watch this PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> just what the heck?
0: It was like that viewfinder we had when we were kids, or when we the rich kid on the block had the viewfinder that that showed up, showed it on the wall, and you got mm-hmm. to you know go with it. All right, you <laughs> listen to Ed. Yeah, to,
2: but the 50 watt light bulb is probably brighter it's than probably the theatrical projector.
0: Yeah. Although I will tell you, a couple, two three years ago at Infocom, I saw a demo from Texas Instruments um, of, of a of an LED pico projector. But again, just like anything else at a trade show, it was vaporware because I've never seen it since. So uh, this is EdTech with Matt Silverman and uh, and Scott Tyner. This comes from the Chronicle. I this is kind of about Stanford and and they did some really cool things. They they invited people to. Um, To take some classes online and, and, you know, they were kind of adjusting how they they taught certain classes. And then comes along this Stanford student, which in my brain, guys, and you guys can disagree with me on this. Stanford student just right there automatically gives him 100 points, 100 IQ points above me because there's no way I could get into Stanford. (laughs) But he writes a blog post and criticizing Stanford and this whole flipped classroom (laughs) idea. Where they're flipping around, you know, instead of having, you know, uh, one teacher and you know half a dozen, you know, a dozen or so or thirty or forty students in a in a a, uh, lecture hall, you've got hundreds and possibly thousands of people in this classroom. He goes on to say in his in his blog post, online lectures suck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how
0: you feel. Yeah, tell us how you feel. (laughs) Sure, they're great for rainy days or people learning at a distance or people that don't go to Stanford. However. These new classes are getting rid of in-person lectures completely. I met barely anyone in his class. Everything was done alone in my room, which is kind of crappy, especially when there is such a nice campus right outside. I I see where this kid's coming from, but not him, but his generation, I think. Is the reason Stanford 's doing this and other, class, and other and other campuses are doing this scott do you do you kind of see where i 'm coming from, or do you see more on his on his standpoint where yeah, they got a great pretty campus, but you 're forcing me to sit in my dorm room
1: yeah i I see uh, both issues first of all, we all work in colleges right we know that um Students like to complain, and and, and no. they're not always they're not always necessarily even sincere about what they're complaining about. Um, and so, you know, this kid was probably fooling around one day on a on a blog. But you know, so so here's what he's saying though, and this is part of what I agree with. And I, and I and I'll you know make an analogy. We have people all the time that want to do overflow. Right, so there's an auditorium and somebody speaking, and it's so big that they're going to overflow to another room. And I'm like. People do not want to sit in some random classroom and watch a music or dance performance. They want to be in the, the hall. Yep. I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. The experience is nothing the same. Now, with that said, I think that um, flipped classrooms, distance learning, um, online lectures are without question and doubt uh, the, the thing of the future. And when you talk about education, you talk about a monstrosity – that does not like to change or move, um, whether it's from kindergarten to, to you know, graduate school. Yeah. It's been doing it this way for a long time, and it likes how it does it. Um, but I, I don't even, you know, so I, I think distance learning, I think the flipped classroom in, in the right circumstances are absolutely fantastic. And, you know, when you've got the Chronicle writing this, this paper, I mean, writing this article, and they're even saying that, you know, Stanford's saying, the kids that took either one, they're doing the same. They, they kind of achieved the same. It gives some credibility to it, in my opinion. So, Matt, is this
0: somewhere where we need to give the students the choice maybe? I mean because I, I am a big fan, just like Scott, of, of distance learning. It gives people that don't have access to it or don't have the time – to get to finish their degree whether you're a single mom who's working two jobs and the only time you have to go to class quote unquote is between midnight and 5 a.m well then you know distance learning is great for you or you're a soldier trying to finish up your your degree uh, overseas but maybe on campus you give the kids a choice i mean i'll say from a
2: personal learning perspective I, i i really feel where this kid is coming from i actually uh Participated. Stanford did this uh, kind of free course on this machine learning. They also did a database course, and I, I signed up for the database course. And I got about one or two lectures into it, and then life took over. Yeah. But you know what? For for a free course, and I mean even for distance ed, it was great. But if you're paying for the traditional campus experience, you know the traditional undergrad experience, I, I would hate to be forced. Uh, to be in an online-only environment, I, I guess I, I, what it doesn't say here is if he voluntarily was in the section <laughs> or not. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think Scott's right. I mean, I, I think in the next ten years, what traditional education looks like will be will change. There's so many disruptors in the field, and we're going to see more of this. So yeah, it's it's definitely coming, and something we're going to have to support.
1: Go ahead, set. I was just going to say, and, and you know, the, the game changers are things that um, change it instantly. And, and I completely agree. You know, this, this kid or his parents, or you know, may, maybe not, maybe he's going to grant, but somehow Stanford's getting money for this kid to be there. And again, my analogy of if I pay a hundred bucks to go to a concert. And they put me in some room down the hall as an overflow I, I, that ain't going to please me very much, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I can see with this kid's like you know'm wh- however, somebody's paying for me to come to this college, I want to sit in a room, then you know if, if that's what the expectation that was set was, he should be able to sit in that room. Uh, but-
0: <laughs> let me ask a, a, a question here because I don 't know about you guys. I, I know of some universities who actually charge more for online classes. So whether or not this kid was charged more or less is, is, is I don't know about that. So is this the point where we go okay? Uh, if you want to take an in person class, it's going to cost you more because we have to do X and Y and Z, and we have to you know make a room available, and we have to heat that room. and Electricity is involved, and all that jazz.
1: Yeah, I mean I I think you know it's so hard to because I can tell you know a place like like Bates we 're not going to change we 're not going to do online learning and i, and I mean, 'm saying that in the next ten years it's just not going to happen it 's not who this, who this college is. But I do think that there's um, what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a validity to it that doesn't exist right now. you know this idea of get an online graduate degree like you know a guy who lives up here in, in Lewiston, Maine, and the nearest graduate school is three hours away. That makes it really difficult to get a graduate's degree so I think we're going to see a validity to it, and I think that even you know this this article a lot of the things that you read now are saying that that this stuff is um, it's working, and people are actually getting educated uh, I think that you you might see you know this college of Massachusetts that I told you about you know if they they might get to a point where they say you know if you do, if you don't want to do at least that flipping thing you come on Tuesdays and you come on Thursdays well you now you know now you need to pay a premium just mm-hmm. like you do in a in a bank if you want to talk to a teller yeah
0: <laughs> don't give these administrators any ideas <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's all the stories I have guys do you have anything else or anything you want to promote or anything? actually one thing I, I I do want to say is the the way I met both both Scott and and Matthew, Matt is through uh, the Infocom Technology Managers Council. Uh, and Matt, I'm going to – this is kind of putting you on the <laughs> spot, but I want you to kind of talk about that because you are, you are our leader for that. Uh, so talk about how people can get involved if you are a technology manager, whether that's your title or not. If, you, if you're involved in Classroom AV, that's kind of what you are.
2: Um I, I guess I've been the cheerleader. Scott's actually our uh, council chair. Yeah. Uh but uh I, I've been involved now. Did with I end- say
0: Matt's the council chair? I'm sorry. Yeah, Scott's the <laughs> council chair. Scott's our leader.
1: <laughs>
0: That's all right. The other day I called Bradford Ben and, and Brad Grimes the opposite names, so go ahead.
1: <laughs> So, you, you, know, um, you know, Matt has always been a big cheerleader. There's several of us that are cheerleaders. I think one of the things that we've always tried to do with the Technology Managers Council is is make sure that we are um, – we have a standing in Infocom. We recognize Infocoms, um, you know, is is the trade – trade um, group for the industry um, we need to be part of that we want to be part of that um, and so we've worked to do that with one of the things we did this year is start up a, a webinar series Matt did one I did one um, we found how difficult it is to do a really good webinar that educates people one of the things we're working on right now and um, you know actually I'm not sure when there's going to be a, a changeover in chair at some point, but one of the things that we're working on right now is um, a technology manager Super Tuesday at Infocom. Big fan Which, of this. Yeah, I think it'd be you know really cool. Um, and and one what we're kind of we're, we're focusing on what are the ideas going to be right now? Who are the topic? What are the topics going to be? Who are the speakers going to be? We so we you know we're open to hear about that. But I think it's one of those things that tells us. Um, Infocom is reaching out to us. They they know that we're part of the industry, um, and they want to help help us be part of that and educate us.
0: All right. So how does how does someone if you are not on the Technology Managers Council, it doesn't cost anything. So how do they get get involved? How do they get on the council and start getting involved?
1: Uh, if you want to get on the council, all you've got to do um, I'm trying to think if I think right on the Infocom. Page. If you search for Technology Managers Council, you'll come to uh, a page with all you know our, our group picture on it, uh, and I think there's an application form right on it. Uh, and like you said, there, you know you fill out an application form just so we know your your name and email address. There's no cost associated. You get put on our, our email list. You're invited to our yearly meeting. You're invited to our uh, which is at Infocom. You're invited to our quarterly meetings, which happen uh, via teleconference
0: that's probably one of my favorite meetings at InfoCom to be honest about it just because <laughs> seriously because there are some guys that that don't it, don't participate in the quarterly ones uh, and sometimes I don't cuz of simple you know life and and scheduling but I, that's where you get to meet people face to face and you hear real problems and real solutions to something that maybe not be maybe it's not your exact problem but it's going to be something close
1: you know and one of the things we tried last year that there was some confusion about was ha- to have a, uh, an informal reception. And so we tried to do one right outside of the official Infocom reception. Um, there was some confusion about where it was, but I think there was probably about at one point, 10 to 15 of us that were there. And to me, that's a big thing. I would really push to try and do something like that again this year, just to meet people, meet you. It's how I met Matt. Uh, it's how I met a, you know, a bunch of the people I know in the industry now that I email if I really, you know, need to know something, um, have a have a, a drink and and sit and chat.
0: Yeah, so I'm a big fan of it. Matt's a big fan of it, obviously, and, and Scott is as well. So if you're if you're not on the council, just go, you know, sign up. And, and uh, seriously, it's just a, a, an application to Infocom. They pretty much just verify that you you know you work for a college or, or not even college. You, technology manager doesn't have to be education guy, but most of us are in some way, shape, or form. So. Yep. All right, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. Matt Silverman has been with us. Matt is the Manager of Learning Space Design at George Mason University. Thank you, sir. No problem. No problem. And also, uh, also Scott Tyner. Uh, Scott is the Assistant Director of User Services for Bates College. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a good mm-hmm. time.
0: All right. Uh, this, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, I'm from A.B. Nation and also work at the Lewis and Clark Community College uh, just outside of St. Louis. Uh, that's all the time we have for EdTech.